Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Jackbox Games. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack. Now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info. Thanks, Jackbox. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnell, and this is a special episode of the Nerdwise Presents Your Stories podcast that we recorded with the Chicago Public Library Maker Lab at the Harold Washington Library downtown. Uh, if you don't know, the Maker Lab is a Chicago institution where you can learn to 3D print and sculpt for free, and it's really pretty incredible. Uh, you'll hear all about that in this episode from library employees George Garcia, Armani Harris, and Ashley Rayner. Uh, we've also got library friends Amanda Thompson and Jim Schmidt, and returning Your Stories champs Mike Gifford, Andrew Bentley, and Nikki Tagi. Plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, so if you know anything about the Nerdalogs, you know we never slow down. That's why we've got two really cool Your Story shows coming up in uh, quick succession here. First, there's one this Wednesday, June 8th at 7pm. We are once again teaming up with the Chicago Design Museum for a special Design Week edition of Your Stories, featuring artists from the, their current exhibit, Unfolded. Uh, this is going to be a ton of fun, uh, as all our Design Museum collaborations are. Tickets for that are available on our website and Facebook page, and proceeds from the show go to benefit the museum, which is not-for-profit, and it is a great cause. Uh, then next Wednesday, the 15th, we're doing a show with a different kind of museum, the U.S. Pizza Museum. Uh, we'll be hanging out at Demo's Wicker Park with the fo uh, folks behind this wonderful project, sharing both stories and pizza. Uh, this is a free show. It's going to be great, so do not miss that. Um, otherwise, you can keep supporting the nerds through our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash nerdalogs, if you like what we do. We definitely hope that you do. I mean, you made it this far, so chances are probably uh thanks so much for listening everybody please enjoy the show Faulkner. I work here at the Chicago Public Library's Harold Washington Library Center and also in the Maker Lab. Uh, we're really excited to be working with the Nerdalogs tonight and have the theme be making. I'm really very excited to hear what everybody's got to tell. So thanks for coming and welcome to everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Emily. Hey, guys. So these are all songs that relate to the theme of making or, or building, uh, if you will. 
starting with this tune that I think is, uh, let's say, critically maligned. <laughs> it's on a number of worst song ever lists. And that's just not fair. That's not fair. It tops a lot of them. Tops a lot of them. Uh, I will say, I don't know of a better illustration of somebody's kind of general being sucked into corporate culture than starting as the woman who's saying, one pill makes you smaller, you know, this, this anthem of 60s rebellion, and then going to this 20 years later. But I still love this song with all my heart. Oh, yeah, the chord. There it is. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Face. You don't need to that kind of place. Be deep in the hoopla, winning in your fight. Too many runaways eating up the night. Marconi plays the mamba. Listen to the radio. It's just another Sunday. I'm tired. 
Something, something like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that song is real silly. Ah, uh, so this song, I feel like this song like encapsulates Lilith Fair perfectly. Like if there was yeah. one song where you were like, this was Lilith Fair, this would be it. Come back, Dwight, we need you. We always need you. Fun fact, this is also the only Sarah McLaughlin song that is not about dying pets. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I don't know, man. I heard it was about a gecko. <laughs>
fine. I'm fine. So we have a bunch of great speakers from the Chicago Public Library Maker Lab tonight, but first we're going to kick things off with a veteran of this show who is uh, such an amazing person. He's an essayist, he's a comedian, all-around great dude. This is Mike Gifford. Wow, we're doing it, everybody. Hi, I'm Mike Gifford. Let's just go up, maybe. Let's see. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you all. I'd first like to thank the staff of the Maker Lab here at the Chicago Public Library for having us here to speak this evening. That's pretty good. Yay. It is my, yeah, right. It's my strong belief that libraries are sacred ground. Thusly, I've been asked by my mother to apologize in advance for anything I'm going to say <laughs> while I'm here. The late great scholar, Professor Richard Altec, wrote, A scholar must not only be capable of hard, often totally resultless work, he must actually relish it. <laughs> Our theme for this evening's program is making. Making, I thought. As a noun? Making? It sounds like lewd behavior during the Truman administration. <laughs> Don't tell Lois, but I saw her son Johnny making it with Sarah Jane in the back of their new Studebaker. How vulgar! <laughs> so now I find myself in one of the great bastions of education and learning in the world, having to give a talk inspired by making. What to do? Well, I went for a walk in a cemetery for inspiration. Graceland Cemetery, to be precise. And this past Sunday afternoon, I spent hours wandering around that magnificent macabre park. As one makes their way to the pond at Graceland Cemetery, it's like wandering back into the most elite parts of the Gilded Age of America. You see names like George Pullman, John Root, Louis Sullivan, Potter Palmer, David Adler, Marshall Field, Philip Armour, William Wallace Kimball, Charles Wacker, Cyrus McCormick, and on that island, the great Daniel Burnham himself. Their tombs are massive monuments that serve as testaments to their legacies. These are the industrialists, financiers, architects who rebuilt Chicago after the Great Fire and in doing, intentionally set out to make a template for what a 20th century city should be. So a lot of rich, dead white guys who made stuff. <laughs> Sidebar. By all accounts of professional and personal standards, I have failed at life. Now, I may only be 33... But it's over. It's done. <laughs> that should be clear to everyone who can see me. And if you can't see me, use your imagination. My voice says it all. <laughs> I'm like a guy wandering around in a dark cave of treasure, holding a flashlight with no batteries in one hand, and in the other, a bucket with quite a big hole. Well, mutatis mutandis. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So, I've always been drawn to failure and those others who, too, revel in its muddy waters. Now, I know in our fast, hyper-capitalized society, we're supposed to 
aim for the stars, as long as those stars have lots of zeros behind their eternal glow <laughs> that we've already forgotten because the only thing of consequence is making lots of money. Then maybe you too can build a monstrous building, put your name on it, and maybe, if you're lucky, even run for president of the United States. How cool! Well, not exactly my American dream. I do think I found an American dream once in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, <laughs> while vacationing with my parents this past fall. I'm 33. <laughs> okay, so we had a little break in the vacation around Kansas City. And I am really into sleight of hand card magic. Now, don't hold your breath. I can't deal cards to save my life. But I'm really into the history of sleight of hand magic. And there's this fellow named Di Vernon, who is one of the fathers of 20th century sleight of hand card magic. He's famously known as being the man who fooled Houdini. Not really all that much to brag about because Houdini was an escape artist and a really crappy sleight-of-hand magician. <laughs> but I digress. Di Vernon used that template and was obsessed with learning all he could about sleight-of-hand card magic. And during the 1920s, he heard lore of a man who could do the center deal. Now, what's the center deal? Well, the center deal is whenever you can deal from the center of the deck. But card sharps, or a card sheet, thought that this move was impossible. Because who could possibly do that? Well, Alan Bill Kennedy could. Who? Yeah, drunk guy, unknown, lived in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, outside of Kansas City. What? Who's this guy? Well, through a weird chain of events, Di Vernon made his way outside of Kansas City and found this man, Alan Bill Kennedy. But it took him a little trick. You see, people weren't willing to give up where Mr. Kennedy lived because he was a notorious gambler and people in those towns kept their mouths shut. And Mr. Vernon came to town dressed up in a very nice suit only a few weeks after a couple of mobsters from Kansas City had whacked a couple of guys and dumped their bodies in Pleasant Hill. So they weren't so game to chat. Well, Mr. Vernon was about ready to give up whenever he saw a little girl standing outside of a store eating an ice cream cone. He said, excuse me, little girl, but do you like that ice cream? And she said, yeah, I do, mister. Well, if you tell me where Mr. Kennedy lives, I'll buy you another ice cream cone. She goes, oh, Mr. Kennedy, he lives right up on that hill. And there, Di Vernon learned how to do the center deal, thus changing American card magic forever in its own little way. That's pretty cool. So I drug my parents down the middle of bum nowhere in Missouri to see this place. But I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where we were. I knew nothing about this. Just a bunch of rednecky stuff, I figured. But why not? So I get out of the car. My mother is frustrated because she doesn't want to be there. My father is annoyed because he has no idea what we've done, but they're humoring me because that's me. And I'm 33 years old and I'm vacationing with my parents. So... <laughs> We get out, and I go up to the local historical society. I knock on the door, and there's this fellow, Bob Kennedy, no relation. 
And through Bob, my parents and I met Bob's wife. We drove around Pleasant Hill. We learned all about Alan Kennedy. He even took us to his grave, which was pretty cool. And I found out that I was only the second person since Di Vernon visited in 1923, I believe, to have actually pursued this man and visited his grave. That's pretty cool. End of sidebar. So, there I was this past Sunday surrounded by a bunch of staggeringly opulent monuments for a bunch of rich, dead, white guys. Well, those fellows did some important things for society as a whole, but also were responsible for some pretty horrible injustices. Yet, with all that history, to most folks in America, they have the relevance of a cobweb in a corner. A bunch of marble temples honoring a whole bunch of nothing that nobody even remembers. Good or bad, it is what it is. Like my 11th grade English teacher, Mrs. Sands, said, we're all just legends in our own minds. Modernity certainly has provided benefits, but modern industrial values have caused folks to work so hard to make the perfect life for themselves that they forget to live one of their own, let alone Truly sharing a life with others, perhaps? So, again, I quote Richard Oltek. A scholar must not only be capable of hard, often totally resultless work, he must actually relish it. Well, let's all relish those resultless moments a lot more, because those are the memories you'll truly cherish when you look back at the life you have made. Thank you. So far from a failure, Mike, I love you. You're such a wonderful person. Before I introduce the next speaker, I want to read this amazing tweet that is so perfectly dovetails with, uh, with your story that our friend Eric Siegel uh, just tweeted like two hours ago. Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll start at the very bottom of a new industry at age 40. God bless you, Eric. That's some, some real wisdom. Coming up next, like I said, we have some wonderful guests from the Chicago Public Library Maker Lab, which is an amazing thing. I'm sure you'll hear a little bit about that through their stories. Also, stick around after. Check it out. I mean, you don't have a lot of time today, but also come back. Anyway, this is a maker, George Garcia. A, a maker, a capital M maker, I should say. Like, that is his title. Hello, all. Um... Well, I guess I'm here to talk about myself, right, and give you a short story of who I am and what I've done in the Maker Lab. Uh, I started working for the library a couple of years ago where I, I started as a cyber navigator. And that's supposed to be an, an instructional mentor or guide for people on how to use a computer, how to fill out a resume or a job application online. And I got dragged around to a couple, well, not dragged, sent around to a couple different libraries on the north side of Chicago. And I ended up here at the Harold Washington Library Center one day, and and it was a pretty interesting place, unlike the neighborhood branches, because I'd get a lot of foreigners, I'd get a lot of people who live downtown, not neighborhood folks necessarily. Through my time here, I found uh, the Maker Lab. It was maybe a month into its opening, and I decided to spend a lot of time there. I had done some experimental 3D work on Maya and a few other programs earlier in my life. So I thought I'd apply and bring in some of those files and try to print something or make something on the other machines. I started with the laser cutter though, uh, after some poor 3D prints. And, 
And I started making some things for the house, uh, mainly some IKEA hacks for feed for some furniture <laughs> uh, or light switch covers. Uh, even made myself like a headphone hook, uh, camera attachments, and, and a few other things like that. Uh, through my time there, I made some documentation with them, helped them understand a new 3D printer we'd got in a little tiny guy. Um, and, and I started uh, teaching some classes there as well. I've done a, a, quite a few special projects with a couple individuals in there. Um, and it's been a great time for me. Uh, one that sticks out the most was one time we had say some um, some doctors from Loyola University Medical Center uh, out west of Chicago, and they came in with an interesting idea. They wanted to three D print. Uh, they wanted to do some medical three D printing, um, and they came to me with some DICOM files, which are essentially CT scans of uh, of uh, people's bone parts, uh, and these in particular were skulls. Uh, he came to me, he told me it was a, a young boy's skull, and he was looking to print a replica. Now, this is not something we generally do in the lab. Prints are limited to two hours. Uh, a few <laughs> of the people here in the room will hate that rule because they wish they could print a little longer, but it exists just to make it fair for everyone. So it's not something we generally do, but we thought um, we'd take the opportunity to work on this special project and and we didn't quite understand the impact it would have on some others lives until the end of it so uh, let me explain some of that the doctor came in with DICOM files so they were CDs that were uh, that had their own program for viewing the the CT scans in 3D but I was able to take those and I used a program called divide this divide program it was a very strange program where I had to draw a bunch of strings between modules. And in the end, I turned these, uh, these stacks of images that run through the skull, and I turned it into an STL file format, which was printable on my 3D printer, or the 3D printers upstairs. Uh, I printed them in bold shapes because they were too big for the, uh, for the 3D printer. Uh, and they took about 13 hours each. So the skull that printed in two parts took about 20 25 to 26 hours in our in our 3D printers. Uh, I glued those together and tried to make them as perfect of a fit as possible, and then I reported them to uh, to the doctor. Uh, then I tr found out the true nature and how they would use these skulls. Uh, and since this is audio, I can't show you those pictures. But uh, the skull, the 3D printed skulls that were somehow they. They ended up being printed in glow-in-the-dark filament, so it was a <laughs> glow-in-the-dark skull. But um, they had cavities in them, so they had holes on the left or right side, I forget which side, uh, side of the boy's skull. And they were going to use these skulls to practice before operating on the actual boy. So they were holes, and they were going to fill them with, uh, with implant bone uh, for the skull. And they were able to shape it and ensure that they had the proper size and fitting before opening this boy. I do have uh, some pictures of the operation and how it looks before and afterwards. And it was pretty crazy. So while we don't generally do this for the public, we don't print over two hours or, or laser cut over two hours, mm -hmm. this was uh, a partnership and a, an experiment that the Mako Lab was able to partake in and we had uh, affected real people's lives. Uh, the goal for the doctor was to write a grant to see if they could get a 3D printer in their own facility, an in-house 3D printer. We were the surrogate 3D printer for them, and I think it's worked out for them uh, in the end. Uh, last I heard they were going to get the grant. I hope that they are. Um, 
but it was definitely great for us. I wanted to say one more thing about it, but can't remember anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I think that's it. Also, we can post pictures when the podcast goes up, like on the on the podcast oh, page. Sure. So yeah, I'd love to see some of those. Yeah. Uh, Glow in the Dark Skull is really super cool. Uh, I love that very much. So just to clarify, so the Maker Lab, it is free for people of Chicago to come, like try out and, and engage with, right? Like anyone can come in and you teach classes. Yeah, oh. I, I think I'll let Armani cover that in just a second. Okay, well, that's even better. So everyone listening, uh, go make stuff. But you have a two-hour limit. So if you want to make a skull, you got to find someone else. <laughs> Maybe just find your own skull and start from there. Oh, baby, you can make baby skulls, like little little witch doctor skulls. That's cool. All right, guys, coming up next, I asked the speaker how, uh, how she'd like to be introduced, and she said keep it general. So I want to try my best. Uh, she's a human person who is in this room and is about to take the stage in about five to ten seconds and will talk at you for about five minutes or so. This is Amanda Thompson. Was that, was that pretty general? More general. More general. Oh, man. Here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Amanda, and I'm a maker, but it's taken me a long time to kind of claim that label because what I make is pretty low-tech. I don't make handmade cheese boards from Heritage Fair Trade palettes. I don't knit sustainable sweaters for rats. Really, I'm the low-techest maker of all. I'm a gardener. I make, like, flowers and food. It's pretty low-tech. So um, I'm happy and lucky that I have a unique voice when it comes to gardening, and I get to make a living going and talking to gardeners and writing books, and I get to make money doing that, which is pretty rad. Um, I'm thankful for it. It's because of my somewhat snarky attitude and the fact that most other garden writers are very well-adjusted. I don't have time to be well-adjusted, <laughs> and it's worked out really well for me. Um, so everything I do is under the title Kiss My Aster. That tells you a lot about me. And I, uh, I've been gardening my whole life, and I do a little bit of landscape. I've been a landscaper. I've worked in garden centers. I've just gardened a lot in my own yard, and um, I love giving people garden advice. But this is the story of a typical day in my life. All right? You ready? Ready for this? Okay. Yeah, woo! Ready. All right, all right. So I don't do a lot of gigs for people, but um, I have this one customer who she says we're friends, but the only time we see each other is when I'm dealing with mud in her yard. <laughs> she's very kind, and she's always like, hey, how's your daughter? I need stuff. You know, like, it's, it, it's always very nice woman. And she ha I've been dealing with her garden for about 10 years, and she finally moved. So I had her old garden to a point where I could finally... Uh, kind of set it and forget it, and she moved, and she needed a whole new everything. So I came over to her house, and I um, and I set it all up, and I didn't realize, because I hadn't visited previous, she just sent me photos and told me what she wanted. She bought the planters, and um, so I go to set this stuff up, and I hadn't realized from her photos that she had one of those kind of new Chicago homes where everything's on a different level. There's like a there's a level on the patio, there's a level on top of the roof, there's a level on top of her, the roof on top of the house, so there's a lot of climbing, and I've got 75 bags of 
of compost that need to be put in all these containers. And because of the new um, Chicago house style, there's a gangway, and they've tried to use every inch to to build this house. So the gangway is literally Amanda-sized plus one and a half inch on either side, which Mm -hmm. is probably a good enough size if you're not Amanda-sized. So I'm walking with these bags of soil, and it was just miserable, and it's raining. But I'm resolved. I want to get this job done, and I'm pretty zen in the rain. Like a nice trickle doesn't really bother me. you got to wipe it off your glasses every four seconds. But I'm resigned to get this job done. And I'm, I'm hauling things upstairs, and I'm hauling things downstairs, and these big bags of soil, and I'm getting all this stuff done. And I'm all by myself. And it's, it's fine. I order lunch, have it delivered, eat lunch there. And then the, after lunch, the sun comes out and it becomes a glorious May Chicago day. It was kind of a day like today, right? Crappy in the morning, lovely in the afternoon. So I'm drenched. Sun comes out. I'm hauling bags of soil. And I was wearing these exact shoes. They were driving me crazy up these tiny little narrow stairs. They're saving money on narrow stairs. And I'm hauling wet bags of soil up a hundred little tiny stairs. And I'm wearing these shoes and they're flipping off. And, and it's gone from 50 and rainy to 80 and sunny. And all of a sudden, my pants begin to shrink on my body. Mm-hmm. On my body, my pants are shrinking. And I'm trying to carry these heavy things upstairs while my pants are physically shrinking on my body. And I can't explain it. It's like a switch flipped in my head where all of a sudden I was going crazy because I couldn't think, I couldn't breathe, my pants were shrinking, and I just couldn't move anymore. And it, I, the only thing I can explain the uncomfortable behavior, it was, uh, it was similar to being pregnant, being so uncomfortable and not being able to do anything about it until I realized that I could do something about it. I took my pants off and finished the gig. It wasn't until I was about done um, until I realized that they had full-on surveillance cameras all over this place. (laughs) This woman thinks she's my buddy, so now we really are buddies if she reviewed that tape. Um, I, I was so uncomfortable and my pants were still wet and I drove home. I, I were, I live in the suburbs and this was, was a Chicago gig. So I drove all the way home soaking wet with no pants on. My pants were still wet when I went to pick my daughter up at preschool. I picked my daughter up from preschool with no pants on. Um, it was like, you know, about as long as what I'm wearing now. You know, it covered the butt, but not if you moved. <laughs> and, um... And so a few weeks later, I had another gig, similar weather, and, and I have bought these, um, like, stretchy, dry-free. You know, it's never going to happen to me again. And now I never do a gig without bringing a proper moo with me. <laughs> and that's my story. Thank you, Amanda. So many great stories. And my pants coming up. <laughs> so many. Guys, coming up next to the stage, another veteran of this show. Uh, actually a veteran of the Nerdalogs, uh, although not currently one of the active members, but he is directing a musical for us, uh, which is a mashup of Full House and Sweeney Todd. If you'd like to hear more, I'll tell you about it at the end. But it's, it's really, really great. Uh, what if Danny Tanner, one night a year, went out and killed a drunk driver? That's the premise. And it's director, Mr. Andrew Bentley. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andrew Bentley. Hey, Andrew. Hi. As a child, I was an iconoclast. Not intentionally, of course. Like most kids, I was, in place of any real comprehensive philosophical schema, possessed instead of a collection of loose, instinctual suppositions, founded in free association and cabled together with a sparking thicket of faulty logical wiring. 
My most deeply held principles were the product of cargo cultish reverence for those small kernels of adult intrigue which slipped the bonds of discretion and filtered down through the sieve of the prepubescent attention span and into my thirsty brain. There was, as always, a concerted campaign by the state to formally educate me. But those tenets of the establishment were interested in seeing inculcated ephemeral dross like math, religion, and good citizenship were of little interest to me. I was similarly indisposed towards homework, organized sports, television, girls, boys, bike riding, paper mache, and God. I was about as punk rock as it's possible for a suburban teetotalist virgin to be. And all the more so because it was without the smallest trace of intention on my part. As I've said, I had no iconoclastic agenda. I didn't even have any particular aesthetic convictions beyond a favorite color, blue, and a strong opinion on dinosaur shirts. Awesome. (laughs) Rather, I was fervently and myopically fixated on a narrow set of esoteric interests, with no special desire to slot them into a broader foundation of holistic learning. Some of these interests were things like mythology and historical warfare. At age 11, I could differentiate between Scylla and Fenris and explain the finer details of Wellington's campaign in Europe, but not reliably keep my shoes tied. (laughs) But my prevailing fascination was with the secrets of the adult world. The internet of the late 90s was a rugged frontier unfolding before us, an unknowable pandemonium where Google still fought it out with the likes of Dogpile and Angel Fire, and cultural figures like Barney and Mr. T ate balls for our entertainment to the dulcet tones of the hamster dance. (laughs) Society had not quite yet surrendered the purview of education to Wikipedia and Pornhub, but there was a chink in the wall and I pressed my eyes to this portal with the consuming fascination of a Quasimodo, a Phantom of the Opera, or any of the other great chuds of literature. I was not alone. My social circle consisted of four or five other such maladroit expeditionists, all of us blazing like Promethean brands, and all of us unable to satisfactorily catch a baseball. (laughs) We convened in private covens in the lunchroom or at recess, pooling our heretical knowledge and sharing words of power, synonyms for the vagina that could be suffixed with .com and typed with sweaty fingers into the Safari address bar. (laughs) We talked about sex like a band of Sasquatch might celebrate victory over an RV, with great enthusiasm and no understanding, parading their totems through the warren clad and grand hats fashioned from bras and plastic tableware. <laughs> it was not just sex that interested us. We savored the juice of all forbidden fruits, for in juvenile delinquency, we had finally found our religion. Our testaments were the anarchist's cookbook and other such documents, crammed onto floppy disks and circulated like relics. We juggled M-80s like Pentecostal snakes and siphoned gas from lawnmowers to fuel the pyres on which we sacrificed the action figures of our childhood. We never built any bombs, but we could have, probably, and that was enough for us. We roamed the neighborhoods at night in brutal campaigns of inconsequential mischief, like peeing in yard fountains and stealing shopping carts from Food Lion. As we transformed from awkward, gangling boys into awkward, gangling teenagers, our projects escalated. We built a working flamethrower out of a super soaker and a fire hose nozzle and escaped the Fairfax County Police when a molten Darth Maul unexpectedly slipped his bonds and started a small sewer fire. (laughs) For years, we were the unstoppable scourge of a few frustrated neighbors. And then, suddenly, insidiously, the establishment won. We were corralled into the mainstream of human interests, not by the firm hand of responsibility, but by the sly and beckoning finger of mundane temptation. As our voices dropped and our scraggly chin beards flourished, we were 
seduced back into the fold of society by the ever-reliable sirens of sex and liquor. Pursuit of those twin treasures calmed us, coaxed us together with the preps and the jocks and all the other strata of regimented normality. By the time we headed off to college, we had been predictably sluiced into various trenches of harmless counterculture, finally broken down by the vast chugging organs of the man into recognizable, albeit nerdy, composite sugars. Simultaneously, the prized relics of our clandestine worship were trivialized. Today, YouTube will walk you step, step by step through how to build a nuclear missile, and the arcane obscenities we so diligently divined are mockingly arrayed in menu bars of impossibly aggregated cornucopias of smut. <laughs> For today's kids, the odyssey of joyous alienation that consumed my grade school years can doubtless be accomplished in a rainy afternoon, and I cannot help but pity those poor souls who have been artlessly robbed of their empty rebellion. They'll have to make a real difference. For these pitiful bastards, the world has been stripped of the veil, and they are left with nothing but pursuits of inelegant utility. They might as well learn trigonometry, or baseball, or how to cook. Very few of them will grow up to be trivia hosts or unpaid storytellers. Maybe none. Hell, if we give them a couple decades, they'll probably go and cure cancer or global warming just out of boredom. What a bunch of suckers. Thank you. I was shocked. You look like such a nice boy. How could you do those things? Does your mother know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you so much, Andrew. Oh, man. It's so funny that you, you're dressed so sharply. It's such a professional-looking person telling that story. Me up here in the fucking Skeletor t-shirt. I have no stories like that. I was as straight-laced as you could have been, man. Divergence. Anyway, coming next, we have another uh, maker who uh, George hinted at earlier will tell us a little more about the lab. This is Armani Harris. Actually, Andrew, that's not entirely true. The, the, the porn search thing was totally me, too. <laughs> yeah, I think it was everybody. So, something that I'll get into a little bit later is that I had a slightly different start in the Maker Lab than most of my employees. Uh, most of my coworkers. <laughs> but uh, we have free classes that everyone can take. They're on different machines, laser cutters, 3D printers, electronic cutters, various different things. But... The thing about that is there's always a little bit of downtime while you're waiting for it to print, cut, et cetera, et cetera. And without fail, I will get this question. And it's always both questions, and it's always back-to-back, -back, expecting one answer for both. What get you into this? What do you do? And they're looking for years and years of technological experience. Experience, probably for me to have been born with a screwdriver in my diaper. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a writer. Oh. And then they kind of step back a little or two, as if suddenly, beforehand, I was this great wealth of knowledge, and now I am just a writer. <laughs> Maybe you're not the best person to answer my question. Never mind that I could easily take apart most of the machines that we're working with. I can easily teach almost every class except two that I refuse to. <laughs> I always find it funny. Um, I have done some form of making or another besides writing for years and years. Um, but that's always so funny to me because we have open shop uh, three times a week. 
I'm always there once a week, and the word open shop is enough to fill almost every one of the people I work with with terror. <laughs> the reason for that is because it's always random to the point where you could spend your time helping one person for four or five hours. That's about it. Or it could be filled to the brim where you are bouncing back between 13 is my current record. Um, and that means that I am switching from laser cutting to 3D printing back to laser cutting. Oh no, now I need to use the electric uh, cutting machine. Wait, you want me to bring out the knitting machine? I don't have the space for that. Maybe if he moves, oh wait, we need to cut this down. It is busy, hectic. I have a migraine just thinking about it. Um, but what's also great about that is in a single day I could watch 10, 13, 20, or maybe just one person come in, bright and bushy-dyed, like, what is this place? Can I, can I, can I do that? What's he doing? Oh, what's he doing? Can, can, I can't do this. Oh, do you need to have a membership? No, I just take him by the hand and I'm like, sit down right here. What do you want to do? You want a 3D print? Okay, of course you want a 3D print. Everyone wants a 3D print. Um, but what about this little electronic? Nope, 3D print? Okay, okay. Let's sit you down at the computer. Uh, what's great about our space is this is all free software, so it's all stuff that you can do right at home. So, yep, we open up Tinkercad, which is rubbish. What do you mean? You don't need to download it on your computer. You just need a web browser. No, no, not Internet Explorer. Nope, nope. <laughs> Why does everyone open Internet Explorer? <laughs> so let's go to Firefox. Um, they take 10, 15 minutes, do the tutorial, and they're like, what, what now? Do you want to print today? Do you have 15 minutes? 20 minutes? Yeah. But, I mean, that, that must have taken, can, can you stay here 20 minutes? Yeah? Okay, so let's print it today. But, but, I mean, I just made it. I don't have time to print it. I, you have the time to stay here and print it? Yeah. You have a dollar? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get on the printer. Um, they print it, they watch, they ask questions between helping four or five, however many other people. I'm answering those questions. And what's great is just earlier today, there was a guy, he had the utmost excitement and he's like, I know, I know you've probably done this 40, 50 different times. This isn't exciting anymore to you. But the thing that's exciting is watching everyone else's excitement. Because, yeah, this is, weirdly enough, I can say 3D printing a model has become standard for me. It's not something that before the lab I would say, but it's, I mean, you want to 3D print a bus to yourself? Okay, sure. Give me, <laughs> give me 30 minutes. I've got time. Hey, you busy? That's standard to me, but watching someone else's excitement about that, where this is something totally new to them, that's great. I love it. Um, so if I had to think, yeah, I do, I do a lot of my own making, but what's probably best is I make people happy. Thank you, Armani. Man, that's so great. A little more information. The Maker Lab is up on the third floor here, correct? Yes. And the hours are blank to 8 p.m.? Uh, it's, it's confusing. 
Monday through Thursday is 1 to 8. Okay. And Fridays and Saturdays are... 10 to 4. Monday through Thursday, 1 to 8. Fridays and Saturdays, 10 to 4. Sunday closed? Sunday closed. That's good. It's nice to have a day off. Okay, coming up next, uh, this, uh, this next speaker is a patron of the Maker Lab, and I think he gave me maybe the best introduction, uh, best word to say for an introduction I've had on this show yet. This is a renaissance hobo, Jim Schmidt! I'm going to take the stairs because I'm not as young as the rest of you. <laughs> there are stairs? <laughs> there are stairs! <laughs> I got a lot of notes here, but I'm going to ignore them mostly because I can't see that far. <laughs> uh, I'm Jim Schmidt. I'm uh, 70 years old, and I'm a patron of the library, and my main job is to make life miserable for all the employees. <laughs> keeps them on their toes, keeps them awake, gives them something to do in their spare time between uh, looking at the internet and searching for porn. <laughs> uh, Essentially, I, my background is I'm a commercial artist. I've worked in all fields of the graphic arts trade. I started out with computers in the 70s with a Commodore 64. I've built my own computers for the last 25 years. Uh, I do uh, sign making right now. I've got uh, a vinyl cutter of my own. I've got uh, printers. I've got all kinds of equipment. I sell signs on eBay. Uh, I do reproductions of Chicago, uh, Chicago street signs. I do, uh, and I do keychains of Chicago street signs and also small skulls. <laughs> uh, I walked into the Maker Lab about a little bit under a year ago. I really had never uh, been in a maker space. I do all, I have a lot of my own equipment, but I really hadn't seen anything. I had read about 3D printing and uh, laser cutting, but I had never actually seen it done. Uh, the staff here was very helpful teaching me how to use a laser cutter, how do you, I'm really not that interested that much in 3D printing because it's very hard to commercialize it at this point. Uh, and I believe uh, you should do something for a purpose, not just, I like making money. Money's real good for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm retired, I get Social Security, but extra money is extra beer. <laughs> so I, I tend to be more commercial than most people that come into the lab. I uh, make stuff that uh, I can sell. I have, uh, I sell stuff at the National, the Mex National Mexican Museum of Art. I sell at a uh, number of craft fairs. I sell on eBay, as I mentioned before. Uh, and I make quite a good living at it. Uh, I make so good of a living that I managed to buy my own laser cutter, so I don't have to come to the library anymore. <laughs> but I still do, because the place fascinates me. There's young people that have, uh, you get to meet young people that are doing stuff, you get to uh, see young people that want to learn, and I've got a lot that I've learned in the past that I'd like to teach others at this point. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot that you can do out there if you have the proper motivation and some help. Uh, it's, I, for the most part, I taught myself uh, how to do things, but uh, sometimes a couple little tricks will speed you uh, and make it so much easier to do stuff. Uh, shortcuts that may save hours and hours and hours of work, you can learn in a second from somebody that just makes a mention of something. 
So all in all, the experience here at the library in the past year has been just excellent. Uh, I recommend coming to the library. My only regret is the library needs more space for this maker lab. It needs more equipment. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'd like to see a full woodworking shop. I'd like to see a spray, uh, spray booth or... First of all, better ventilation. The place is probably a disaster waiting to happen. We're probably all going to die of cancer. Oh, wait a second. I won't. I'll die of drinking. <laughs> but uh, it's, the library could certainly use uh, more people coming to see the place. It could use more funding. It could use uh, uh, more equipment. Hopefully this will happen in the future as uh, time goes on. Thank you for your time. Y'all sold on the Maker Lab yet? Podcast audience too. Yeah, it's really cool. I have like no um, like physical creation ability whatsoever, but man, even I'm, I'm tempted to come try to, I mean, who doesn't want to bust it themselves? Like I'm sure to be like this big, but I just want to look at me every morning when I wake up. You know, that sounds, sounds horrifying. Uh, we have two speakers left tonight. Coming up next, a librarian who works at the Maker Lab, Ashley Rayner. Hi everyone. Um, I was laughing when you were saying that you don't have a lot of, um, uh, you're not good at in making things like that, because neither am I, and I still was able to make stuff. You just have to find what you like doing, I guess. Um, so when I was thinking about this idea of talking about making, um, I thought about my family and uh, the fact that I think every family has a lexicon. By that I mean like a shared vocabulary or something that uh, just, you know, little inside jokes that are kind of shortcuts for your family. Um, so I have, of course, my mom and my dad, and then I have a little brother, Andrew, who's four years younger than me. And uh, my parents never really restricted us from watching anything or reading anything. There was at one point my dad tried to stop us from watching um, so The Sopranos, but uh, we revolted and we were able to watch it anyway. <laughs> so I probably watched the movie Goodfellas way too young. Uh, that's the 1990 classic with Martin Scorsese. I don't know, has everyone seen that? I don't want to spoil a 20-something-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> but toward the end, the main character, Henry, is upset at his wife for uh, doing something that he didn't expect her to do. And he goes, Karen, why did you do that? Like over and over. And so in my family, if someone does something dumb, we'll be, Karen, why did you do that? Sometimes we'll replace you know, the names, but usually it's just Karen. Why did you do that over and over again? <laughs> or um, there was one time we were at a fair, and my mom is looking around at all the signs, and she's like, funeral cake? What's a funeral? Why would anyone want a funeral cake? And we're looking, and we're like, Mom, we see a sign that says funnel cake. Is that what you meant when you said funeral? Because no one will want a funeral cake. She's like, oh, funnel cake. So now, um, if anyone, like, misreads something or misunderstands something, they'll say, oh, you know, funeral cake, funeral cake. Or um, my mom, again, who um, I don't even think she's seen a whole episode of The Simpsons, but we were, were obsessed with it when we were kids. Every once in a while, she'll go, everything's coming up Cheryl, just like everything's coming up Millhouse. Um, <laughs> It's really random. But um, when I thought about this and the idea of making, um, I thought about a situation with myself and my little brother. I don't remember how old we were, but um, he was making brownies. And I'm not talking about like from scratch, I'm just talking about like Duncan Hines from the box, you know. And I, I don't know if you guys have younger siblings, but one of the roles of an older sibling is to, you know, gently correct your younger sibling uh, in such a way, you know, that it helps them build their character. I was really good at that. Uh, my little brother might have too much character, if that's such a thing. Uh, I, I did a really good job. But, um, you know, he was making the brownies, and uh, he was just doing, 
I don't really know a good way to say this, but I'll just say it. He was doing everything wrong. It was all wrong. Um, you know, he got, like, eggshell in the batter. He used too much oil, not enough oil. He didn't get all the powder out of the packets. You know, it was very complicated, and he was just ruining it. So I'm gently telling him, correcting him, you know, Andrew, you should do it this way. No, you shouldn't do that. You should do it this way. My mom, who was supervising, finally came over, and she said, Ashley, leave him alone. Let him mess up his own brownies. <laughs> And I couldn't really say anything to that. I had to go away. Even though he was still doing stuff wrong, I couldn't say anything. And uh, when the brownies were done, I hate, I hate to admit this, but, you know, they were okay. <laughs> they were actually pretty good. You know, they were pretty solid brownies. <laughs> so now in my family, if, you know, someone is trying to gently correct another person, they might respond, oh, you know, let me mess up my own brownies. Let me, let me do this. And, um, you know, sometimes when you mess up your own brownies, you learn something about yourself. And uh, maybe the person who's offering all that general correction, maybe they learn a little bit about themselves too. Thank you very much. Yo, I want some brownies. and him got brownies? I'm hungry. Guys, we have one more speaker tonight. I am so stoked that she is here. So uh, this next speaker did our show when we went out to Los Angeles last year. And she just happens to be in town uh, because it is her birthday next week and she's celebrating this week. I am so stoked to introduce Nikki Tagalas. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really nervous for this one, um, which is funny because I've told like a seven-minute story about the 28 times I've shit my pants before. Um, but this one I'm really nervous about um, because I'm finding I'm also uh, 30, 33, going on 34 next week, and I'm finding um, that I'm just now making decisions for myself um, in a very, very new way. Um, so I'll start with what I wrote, and then I'm going to make a little bit up on my own, and then I'm going to ask you for something, and then uh, tell, tell, do more. It's, it's going to be a myriad of things, is what I'm saying. Okay, uh, so I reached out to several of my friends this past week asking uh, what the first two things were that they thought of um, when presented with the topic making or maker. Um, the results were as follows. Making love. Making money. Making coffee. Maker's mark. Make your mark. The sandworms from Dune. <laughs> C-3PO's thank the maker and making it up as we go. Um, I remembered quickly what I'd known all along. My friends were godless drunks, <laughs> horny and shallow, who spent most of their free time improvising or submersed in nerd culture. Um, and I, I make these friends because it takes one to know one, right? Um, so... I, I had this thought, and I was like, gosh, Nikki, but what does it mean to you? Um, what does making mean to you? And I, I realized, like, I, I've reached out to ask someone else to decide for me, um, which is something I've always done. I was born um, into the world, and this is where it gets vulnerable, and I apologize, and thank you for staying with me. Um, I was born into uh, the world of an addict. I had an addict home, and so um, I grew up very... Very, very early in the universe, finding out that I was the axis that everyone else returned or turned around. Um, so, just making sure that the universe was in place for everything else, and you're just sideways and sitting and waiting. Um, and if at any point you try to stand up, everything falls, just like our universe would. Um, so, my life basically centered around like, how do I make others happy? And uh, the people pleaser, as you know, will constantly like remember things for you and make breakfast for you and uh, kind of 
find their own purpose in making yours happen. So um, I recently have um, a string, like that home, a string of bad relationships led me to a therapist. And a therapist said, you need Al-Anon. And um, I I was like, that's great. Uh, So I went there on her decision. And on my own decision, I was like, gosh, maybe maybe this is the time in my life that I make my own decision. So I went back to her and asked her how I did that. Um, And she said, well, you have to decide that. (laughs) And I was like, no, I want you to decide it for me. Um, So I, I, like, isolated myself, and I went, and I was like, how do I make myself happy? And the only thing that I knew how to do was make other people happy. So um, I was like, gosh, what do I, what makes me happy? Um, Maker's Mark makes me happy, um, but ultimately making other uh, people laugh makes me happy. And so I'm going to ask you now to enable my addiction um, as I'm realizing like this, oh, the spiritual rock bottom of wanting to make people happy. Um, I want to know a topic of any rock bottom at all. I will tell you a rock bottom story. And then that way I'll be making you happy by making something up <laughs> and making you laugh in the process. So any any rock bottom um Parenting twins. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's great. Yeah, um, I actually, my first boyfriend in high school was a twin. Um, ju- I, I'm not going to change his name because he's not innocent, so I'm not going to protect him. <laughs> um, <laughs> my first boyfriend in high school was Justin Swartz. His uh, brother was Troy Swartz. We grew up in the smallest town in Kansas. It's called Gardner, Kansas. Um, I graduated with 120 people, and they were a grade older than me. I had had a crush on Justin Swartz since I was in seventh grade, and he was in eighth grade. And I ran the 400 because he ran the 400. I ran the 800 because he ran the 800. I ran the 4x4 and the 4x2 because they needed someone else to run the 4x2. Um, So I ran those races, and he was there, and I just thought he was like this shining star that would like, you know come in on these like gray sweats and he had cut like the side of the hood so that it was kind of like flopping off and I was like wow carefree um (laughs) wow he's so cool um so I I I remember dating a twin is one of those weird things where people ask you questions that you don't expect anyone to ever ask you about anything else like do you think his brother's cute and like you wouldn't ask anyone that if they didn't look like their brother so I I guess I understand it Um, but his mom would ask me that Um, and she's like she would regular and my friend Jamie was uh, Troy's girlfriend and she would ask both of us like we'd come over for dinner and this was in high school at this point um because I finally like you know ran his heart into mine um and I I was sitting at the table and she was like did you did you guys like specifically choose the twin or like did you just settle for one of them (laughs) and I was like what the freak kind of question is that and I I realize maybe later I'm thinking, like, did she just wish she could have chosen one of them <laughs> and, uh, and just settled for both? Um, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. <laughs> Hi. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so um, parenting twins, it's always kind of terrifying to me um, because I, I dated one, and people are so – and he was – 
I'm realizing later, like, I, I think I wish I could have chosen his brother because <laughs> his brother was very, very kind and very fun and funny. And then Justin cheated on me um, with a girl. Oh, gosh, I'm just going to tell this story. Um, so <laughs> we were, um, we were, this is how I broke up. This is my first bad relationship um, was with a twin. So parenting one, you know, makes me think of that. Um, I was, my best friend, Blaine, I'm still best friends with him. We were best friends since the fourth grade. And uh, we were, like, driving around cruising Main Street, because that's what you do. You either cruise to Main or cruise the Fay, which was Santa Fe, um, because our town was small, and we couldn't start fires. That was illegal. So <laughs> we drove through the streets, and my boyfriend, Justin Swartz, the fast runner twin, had um, one of those neons around his license plates and those lights from underneath the car, so you knew which Chevy Cavalier was his. <laughs> um, and so... Blaine and I were cruising the uh, Maine, and we saw it pass by, and he's like, hey, Nick, there's Justin. We should go follow him. I was like, that's awful. I don't want to do that. And he's like, yeah, it's me that's doing it, so it doesn't seem weird. (laughs) So he drove and followed him, and he got out at the lake, uh, Gardner Lake, and... um, I was like, oh, this is this will be awful, um, but maybe fun. Who knows? I'm here for the ride to make you happy. So I get out of the car, and um, I – how is everyone over 18 here? Yes. Okay, thank God. Um, so I, uh, I get out of the car, and I'm – I'm, I'm sitting, and we're like, let's sneak up on him, all right? So we were going to sneak up on him, whatever he was doing. We assumed he was probably drinking, like, I don't know, whatever we drank then, um, SoCo out of the bottle. <laughs> and so um, we're like, I know it sounds gross, but that's all we could get our hands on. <laughs> so we're like, okay. Um, so I get out, and he is going down <laughs> on a girl on a picnic table. Oh, no. <laughs> So this is, um, that was my first relationship, um, and I, I remember leaving, and I was like, I don't want to make him mad. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we, got, we got in the car and left, and then he, um, he called me later, and he's like, hey, are you going to like hang out later? And I was like, no, I really am just not interested in hanging out with you anymore, and I could never even tell him why. Um, and my best friend told him, he's like, dude, we saw you going to town on this girl. And, like, Nikki's kind of broken up about it. And he's like, why were you guys spying on me? <laughs> so um, my fear came true. But, yeah, that's um, – that. when I think of twin, I think of that. <laughs> so any, any parenting that you can do um, to, to make both twins equally awesome – would be a great, great treat for any future people pleasers in their past. So thank you for letting me make that up to make you laugh. Yeah, her story about uh, shitting herself a bunch was on one of last year's best of uh, episodes. It is so, so good. Man, two for two. Thank you so much. Claire, do I come on back up here? Okay. Yeah. So I got to thank all the storytellers who spoke tonight. Thank you so much. You were all so wonderful. The Chicago Public Library Maker Lab. Guys, go check out the Maker Lab. Go make stuff. It's free to anybody, and there are people there to help you, like Armani, and he loves helping new people. So that's sweet.
Swift. Thank you to Emily Faulkner. All of you. Get home safe, guys. Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Open Ended. Hosts Cher Vincent and James T. Green take a weekly dive into topics like tech news and code, code switching, and gender, all wrapped in the comfort of listening to two best friends disagree. For more on Open Ended, go to openended.fm. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.